You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here on the Westwood One Podcast Network at Conservative Review. And it is late on Thursday, July 26th. And I'm in a chirpy mood for a couple of reasons. For one, this is actually the first day in what, eight, nine days that we had a little bit of sunshine. I mean, my gosh, here in Maryland, this has probably been, I think they say it's the second rainiest month ever on record, you know, over 140 years or so. Uh, you know, each day this week when I was recording, whether it was for this show or other things, I had to, uh, I really had to make sure I was backing things up because the power kept going out. So uh, we, we're finally in the clear. And then obviously, we have the news of Jim Jordan announcing for a speaker. And today, I, I want to explain why I think this might be our last greatest chance for a long time to address many of the problems we've discussed here on the show. We've written about a conservative review. And you and maybe, just maybe, if we play our cards right and we get enough people to be serious and focused, to use this as the galvanizing moment that we need to get our vision, our priorities, untainted from other people's baggage on the table. Um. And there's there's a reason why this bogus wrestling scandal came out the last couple of weeks. A lot of people are like, "Oh, it was because uh, Jordan kind of roughed up Rod Rosenstein at the at the hearing." Nah, that's not what it was. Um, I think it was a lot more sinister, and I don't think it was Democrats who did it. This is why this was in the works for a long time. Um, you know, a lot of. Uh, the few good grassroots organizations out there that do halfway decent stuff have been working on this for a while. Um, I found out last night. I I did not speak to him today. I, I do want to have him on the show next week, but we'll you know obviously give him some time to breathe. We might try to get some reaction from maybe some other members of uh, the Freedom Caucus to come on the show and, and talk about the significance of this. But. You know, I, I did push him over the last couple months in general to run not after the election in November when it might be too late, to run before November. And, I, you know, in my view, the earlier the better. The earlier the better. And before we could fully understand the significance of this, the opportunity before us. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying the oppor- the door that this opens up. You know, this is not going to fix the movement in in and of itself. It's not going to fix the party. Um, you know, I- I'm not shy about the fact that I-, I still think, in the long run, this will never work for us until we have a new party. I haven't changed in that regard. It's just that. 
you know, you have to deal with the hand you're dealt. And until I can get more colleagues to be honed in on that, you know, you got to fight the battles that you have in front of you and try to make the plays that you can and try to utilize the best leverage points to move the ball forward on as many issues as he can. And I think this speaker's fight is the single most important thing probably, you know, of the election, and it will determine the outcome of the election in large part if we play our cards right. But we have to understand what the problem is we're trying to address. What is the problem? You know, this um, this announcement couldn't have come at a better time. I hinted to this on yesterday's show, but I want to elaborate more than I know now that I know more about it. And it's still pretty appalling that not a lot of conservative media is talking about it. I mean, there's a lot going on in, in the news and the media. There's always the razzle-dazzle stuff, a lot of it this week. But the most important piece of information you need to know is what happened in the House Appropriations Committee on Wednesday. If you haven't heard, I have an article out detailing some of this, and we're going to link to it in show notes. But if, if you want to understand the degree of perfidy, duplicity, betrayal that's taking place among Republicans, just how bad things are, and how Trump on most issues is not really changing that, but he's getting influenced by it, look no further than what they're doing on immigration. Anyone who knows Anything of what we've been doing, if, even if you're an occasional listener, you know I've had an obsession for months with the budget bill. I said, look, your only leverage to stopping this, whether it's the court's insanity, and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, we will not go we, – we don't go for more than 30, 60 minutes without another federal judge putting an injunction on a very important policy. Or at least allowing a lawsuit to go through just a couple hours ago, um, a federal judge said that people could get standing to sue against asking uh, a citizenship status in the census, the entire purpose of the census. So, you know, we pointed out that the only way to deal with this, you know, because basically we have three conservatives in the House and in the Senate, the Senate is, is lost. Forget about 60 seats. We don't have 51 seats for anything. And we pointed out that the only way to, to, to get anything done is for Trump to use his veto pen as leverage and as a, as a um, you know, forward-looking threat to threat, threaten the House ahead of time. You must do this or I will veto the budget bill, the budget bill. And you have to be willing to have a showdown. That is the only way you're going to get anything done, and you have to pick the right issue, and you have to win it that one time, and then for the remainder of your presidency, that will be a tool. And you have to get House leadership on board not to budge, to pass our version of the budget bill, the Homeland Security Appropriations, that will defund sanctuary cities, that will make clear that we're ending this unaccompanied alien child uh, scam and the asylum scam, and will finally kick the courts out of immigration. Lower courts, at least. 
And the, the way you do this is you have solid House leadership because, again, you don't need 60 votes. You only need a majority. And they pass their bill and they run out of town. And Trump pounds away at the Senate. They want to shut down the government. That's on them. That is the reality we've been talking about. You will never get 60 votes in the Senate. Even if Trump has two terms, that, that is not in the cards. That will not happen. In addition, there are so many rhinos. I mean, you see even Marco Rubio and, and uh, Tim Scott, who are regarded by most as in the top 15, 10, even 10 conservatives. Look at how liberal they are on a lot of issues, sandbagging a uh, conservative Ninth Circuit judge. So that is the only leverage he will have. You know, everyone's so caught up in what's in front of them, and no one thinks a couple of steps down the road. If you don't have that fight, and you don't galvanize your base and expose the other side from position of strength on winning issues such as sanctuary cities and border security, then go home. You're done. This has been the point we've been making until now. The Senate is... is we're nowhere near getting a conservative majority and, and not even a rhino 60 seats. You're just – it's not happening. So you have to recognize that. So what happened yesterday? Suddenly the rhinos discovered the power of the purse that we've been yelping about. The power of defunding bad actions. If you remember – Throughout the Obama administration, we were yelping about this, that, that you know, with Obama's president, but Republicans had control of Congress, they needed to use the purse strings to defund his amnesty. And they, they never listened to us. They never, ever thought of entertaining it. Never. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even a question. None of these appropriators for a minute considered this as an idea. And, you know, at the time we noted, just just looking at, um, you, you know, all the different options that we had, we quoted from, from Federalist 58. Federalist 58, where... Madison said the power of the purse may in fact be regarded as the most complete and effectual weapon with which any constitution can arm the immediate representatives of the people for obtaining a redress of every grievance and for carrying into effect every just and salutary measure. They never used it. Suddenly yesterday, almost unanimously and officially unanimously, every member of the committee Use the power of the purse. They use that DHS appropriation bill that you've heard from me for the last six months. See, for, for, for six months, I've been trying to build the case. In September, this will be your last opportunity before the election. And after the election, it's just going to be the presidential election circus. This is your last opportunity to get your immigration priorities through. And the president promised never again. And let, 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 let's not forget, we had the March 2017, FY 27, it was March 2018, March, no, no, March 2017, that was the end of the FY 2017 budget, that betrayal. 
We had September 2017. We had December 2017. We had the February budget caps and debt ceiling. That was a whole other betrayal that people forget. And then finally the March omnibus. So it's the next time. Oh, no, no, the next time. Oh, oh, the next time we'll fight. And then Trump finally said, I'll never do this again. And I said, look, you know, really, you know, anyone else would just grow weary and give up. But okay, fine, one more time, let's build a movement. But I've been screaming in the wilderness. And I want you to understand the importance of this because it's not just, oh, okay, worst comes to worst. I don't want to rock the boat before an election. We'll just keep the status quo. What, what, what people need to understand is you need these provisions in the budget bill because if you don't have them, you're not getting the status quo. The left is winning. The, the, the courts are doing it for them. The courts are giving them judicial amnesty. They're literally prohibiting deportations. They're rewriting immigration law. They're rewriting the Constitution. We're going backwards. There's no middle ground here. So in comes the House Appropriations Committee because we didn't have a movement demanding that we use it for our purposes. Well, the special interests that swing for the other side were the only ones in town. And they got them to do the following. Kevin Yoder, who's the ringleader here, he is the subcommittee chairman. So this is a full committee markup, but he's the one with the most influence on immigration because he's subcommittee oversees Homeland Security. He's a subcommittee chairman. Kevin Yoder from you know, the Kansas City area of, of Kansas has an amendment to defund not DACA amnesty and, and the court's decision and block the courts from doing it, but to defund enforcement, block deportations of Obama's amnesty, to codify his amnesty. I mean it, it just – it boggles the mind. And, it, and it, it was voice voted. No opposition. And we, we have a list of the members if you, in, the, in the article that I'm going to link to. A lot of members on that committee. It's a very big committee. All pukes on, on the Appropriations Committee. Then, they had an, then, then there were tons of amendments placing all these restrictions and mandates on ICE. They have to allow phone calls with the, the, the illegals. Um, free of charge and all sorts of crazy things, um, putting all sorts of restrictions on them, the way they shackle them. The entire tenor of the markup was not about the emergency of drugs and gangs and the SIAs we talked about yesterday with Joseph Humeyer for the American people. It was all about what could we do for the illegals? Literally a breach of the social contract, of the purpose of elected representation. It wasn't like, okay, let's care about the illegals now. Let's worry about the Americans. No, it was exclusively about them. Then they had an amendment, and this was I referenced yesterday, to block Sessions' new guidance on inter- properly interpreting credible fear, being an individualized persecution at the hands of the government for ethnicity, political views, or religion. And you understand that this is the linchpin to the entire invasion. If you, if you go after, after that, we're done. Because once anyone could just come and say, oh, I have a credible fear of violence and poverty at home. That's the entire Latin America and many other countries. They, then they're here. Then they have a court date. 
They don't show up. And then they could litigate themselves in Article Three courts into all sorts of stuff. This is the problem we're having. And they go on to commit so many crimes, bringing gangs. And then that empowers the entire economy of smuggling that makes the drug cartels what they are today, gives them that diversion technique where they could use the the tens of thousands every month of these bogus asylum people. Some of them are problematic themselves, but even the ones who aren't as diversions to bring in the many, the, the drugs and the gangs. And um, obviously, as we spoke about yesterday, the Middle Easterners smuggled through um, the help of Hezbollah and, and, and other entities destabilizing Latin America. So, I mean, you literally have the firefighters as the arsonists, where, much like on healthcare, where Republicans completely have adopted the philosophy of the Democrats, it's the same thing on immigration. And the significance, and this was really the title of my article, the significance of this is we always knew Republicans love amnesty for those already here illegally. But what they're showing here is that they want amnesty for those coming now and tomorrow and next week and next year and forever. That you're blocking – meaning this is not even amnesty. This, this is so radical because you can even be 100 percent for amnesty and still like, OK, yeah, but I, I, I want to stop the future flow. No. And then a couple, couple more things. A couple more things. And uh, let me just look this up here because there was a lot going on there. But there was another amendment that purported to do something good. But even while doing good, it demonstrated the problems that we have. So you know we have this problem now where judges are mandating abortions, mandating that ICE, ORR, allow access to abortions for these teenage illegals. Now, yes, they often, most of the girls get raped on the way here, but they do usually take birth control for it. Um, and that in itself is a sad story. The media or the Democrats or the rhinos won't, won't deal with how their policies are causing that. But that's not where the pregnancies and abortions are coming from. They are now explicitly, you know, so, so we're a refuge for, okay, people fleeing poverty, people f- fleeing violence. Now we're a refuge for elective abortions. They're coming here. It's not like they're coming here because they're coming here, but then they had abort, you know, they're pregnant and they want to abort the kid. That's incidental. No, no, no. They're coming to have an abortion because those countries, Mexico, Honduras, whatever, don't allow elective abortions. So we become a dumping ground for the world's abortions. Not only do we have it here, now we invite in people to come break into our country and have abortions. So Adderholt from Alabama had an amendment to, to you know, block funding for abortions you know, in ICE facilities. Guess what they did? They said you can't fund abortions unless the courts rule that this provision is unconstitutional. The entirety of the problem is from the courts. The Trump administration is not doing it on their own. They didn't want to do it. It's only because of the courts. So at a time when we should have had riders in the bill 
kicking the courts out of immigration, the many, many facets, the census, birthright citizenship, benefits for illegals, deportations, asylum, Louis Gohmert's bill, essentially, should have been codified into this. Instead, they invited the courts explicitly to be supreme over our sovereignty and, and, and abortion. It's just astounding. Astounding. And then to add insult to injury, I didn't even read these amendments. I didn't have time yet. But I believe there were two or three of them that just blew the caps on H-1B and H-2B visas to bring in – flood the country with even more low-skilled – that's what we need. More low-skilled immigrants because of special interest to get on welfare, have anchor babies, and never leave, which is what winds up happening. Well, one amendment made the seasonal workers non-seasonal, meaning that they're here in perpetuity. It's all year. Um, Another one just busted the caps. (laughs) These are their priorities. Because this is the leadership we've had in the House. And this is where Jim Jordan comes in. The problem we're having now is, okay, the Senate is as liberal as it The Senate's insufferable. The House... There's enough of these guys that are followers that if you had the right leadership, I'm not 100% confident, but it's worth trying. Maybe, just maybe, if we had the right leadership, you can get a critical mass to push some of our agenda in the House. But without that, the House drifts along with the Senate, and that, in turn, makes Trump worse. You know, there was a big debate among conservatives when Trump got the nomination. Well, what does this mean? What does this mean? And, and everything was too rigid. It was too black and white. It was too binary. It was this or this. And I kept telling people, there's a middle ground. The die is not cast. I mean, you remember some of my shows. I said, it's not just voting for president. It's the, the how, work. don't put all your bread in that basket. If we actually had a movement and we would pressure on the issues, the individual issues, and that was back when I didn't even know that Trump would be this receptive to conservative criticism if we actually exerted it. But put pressure on leadership races, got involved in more primaries, got the president to get involved in more primaries. Then you could actually maybe change things even if you're leery about Trump's views on some things, but it doesn't have to be that way. And lo and behold, I was proven right. Trump naturally is receptive to what conservatives want to do, but when conservatives don't even know what they want to do and don't ask for it and just focus on vanity, he will drift. It was always like, oh, either Trump's going to be a, a, a Putin, that's the never-Trumper said, or the other guy was like, no, he's going to make America great. He's going to solve everything that these guys never wanted to do. And I was like, you're both wrong. I mean, he's going to be like anyone else. You know, he's going to kind of drift and be weak along with leadership absent a positive for good, whether it's elected conservatives binding together together to be strong or whether it's outside groups. And, and, And until now, that has been lacking. So here's the other big piece of information you need to know. 
Now, you might say, okay, so we got betrayed on immigration at this House committee. Oh, but Trump, you know, we're going to rely on Trump. Now, that's really where it should be. We should have a movement saying, look, the rhinos are who they are. They're not going to change. But Trump promised to change this, and we're going to exert our pressure on him to veto any so, – so here's the thing. I'm not worried about this bill passing, like I said. But the point is this is how they move the goalposts to the left. It's going to now have to take a certain amount of capital, and it's going to appear like we're actually getting stuff. We're getting victories just to strip out the most insane going backwards immigration provisions, and there's certainly going to be no – effort, desire to put in good provisions. That's what we needed. We needed to use this bill for our riders, our policy riders. So I'm not worried about that passing, but the point is Trump should have been, for the last three months, every day since he humiliated himself and signed that dumb bill in March, he should have threatened a veto of any DHS funding bill included in the ultimate budget for September after September 30th, that doesn't contain his priorities on the border, on immigration policy in general, asylum, and sanctuary cities, and the courts. But nothing. No one even made that play call. But that that's what we need now, and, and we still don't have much of a movement for that. Even after this betrayal, a couple people have picked up, picked up on it, but it, it's not the level. I mean, could you imagine on the left a commensurate degree of perfidy on the left. You know, let's say Democrats, every prominent Democrat on a, on a Super A committee one day just like, I don't know, voted to abolish Medicaid, um, private Social Security accounts, right to work, defund Planned Parenthood. I mean, that, that's what it's like doing. I mean, do you think the left-wing base would focus on vanity the whole day and the soap opera? You better believe they'd be honed in on those policies. Kevin Yoder does have two people filed to run against him. I'm going to try to find out if there's anything there. I doubt they have any money, but it's worth it. And now I, I just want to dispel one other thing. You know, Some might say, well, you know, that was a marginal district. I think even Hillary might have won it because that's the outgrowth from Kansas City. That's the one part of you – know, he's confined to the part of Kansas that has the urban areas – I understand that it's not as conservative as in many ways, but really, they, they, they want MS-13 in sanctuaries? Like, th that's what they want? That's what swing voters want? I don't think so. I don't think so. And by the way, Donald J. Trump, the day before, had Yoder on board Air Force One and endorsed him. And this is what he does. I mean, this is... This is not a strong man. Like everyone either praised or feared in President Trump. He's getting taken advantage of because we don't have anyone on the right getting to him like the people on the left. I mean, and by the way, you know, in case you th you thought um what do you call it? Um Mark Short departing as legislative director changes things. No, Sharia Knight, Sharia Knight, whatever her name is, the new one is just as bad. She just wants to focus on tax cuts for their main. I've heard in a meeting that that she said the strategy is to do tax cuts every year. <laughs> and 
And that's going to be the political morphine to shield from all these other problems and break his immigration promises. Oh, and by the way, they're not doing tax cuts this year. So I guess they mean non-election years. It's not even every year they're going to do it. You know, as much as I don't think that's the top issue, you, you know, with the with the at least you know somewhat economic growth, and we'll see what happens with tomorrow's GDP numbers. The tax cuts we had so much momentum in January; they should have passed budget reconciliation, at least the one avenue of getting around the filibuster. But no, there was no movement to make that play, and then then they could have used that to make the tax cuts permanent. Bernie Sanders. Literally said, oh, they're not permanent. We could have called them out right there. Put it on the floor. Because we don't have a movement making the play calls. Now, before I get to back to Jim Jordan, let me wrap this up with, with one more point in what we're lacking and what we need. I'm not saying he's going to provide this. I'm saying he has an opportunity to provide this. You know, I, I had a conversation with with. Dave Bratt. I don't, I don't see a reason why I can't talk about this. Um, we, we, we talk a lot. And I had a conversation with him this week just about this whole problem of not being able to dis- disentangle from the morass of, of everyone's baggage. You got Trump's baggage. He does good things. He does bad things. You got the rhinos. You got the Democrats. You got the media. And we can't stand on our own two legs and promote our agenda. And what happens is because you don't have a critical mass of a movement with enough of a platform to saturate into the psyche of the voters, even if you try to do it as one individual member, you can't talk over it. So you get defined by the perception of your party, even though it should never apply to you. And this is the problem Dave Bratt's having. I mean, he has a tough reelection in his district. Which should tell you, you know, unlike these, you know, cheerleaders that think, oh, fake news, um, that uh, Republicans are really winning the election. Uh, no, they're not. The polling I've seen from districts that have been read for decades is pretty bad. It doesn't have to be this way until November, but it currently is. And and you're not going to change it by ignoring the problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, if the media puts out stuff on policy, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back against it rigorously and disagree with it. But if it's on horse race, I mean, it is what it is. Who's up, who's down? I mean, it's not necessarily, um, just because they're liberal, it's not necessarily wrong. It's it's, it's stupid to um, ignore that. So this is the problem. And this is why I beg conservatives, if you remember, back in March, right at that betrayal, to harness the angst from the base and disentangle, and the Freedom Caucus should have got together and created a new contract with America, a new taxpayer bill of rights, which I referenced a little bit in my article today on Jim Jordan, had an event with primary candidates, get involved in that. Everything you can to secede from the Republican Party without actually ruining your ballot access. But no one took me up on it. So this is the problem. Individual members are now in trouble because they don't have their own branding. They don't have their own branding. And this is what we need. We need someone with a big platform, with a big leverage focal point 
such as the speaker's election, to galvanize the base, give voice to our general philosophy, philosophy and specific issues and strategies, dealing with what's in the news from our perspective, divorced from all the soap opera, and that members could rally behind that and that we could go district by district and pressure these members. Are you voting for Kevin McCarthy or are you voting for Jim Jordan for speaker? There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. This is the opportunity a speaker's fight has now, and this is why I'm thankful that he's at least doing it before the election. You know, even if he wouldn't beat McCarthy in the, you know, there's there's two elections really. There's the mechanical election between that only the members vote in for speaker um, at the conference right after the, the election in November, but then there's a public opinion election that he could literally shadow box them. He could be this voice if Daniel Horowitz. And some other similar people, nothing personal to my friends, are the biggest voices pushing a positive agenda or pushing back against some of the stuff going on. It's not going to get out there enough. You know, I'm smart enough to know. I mean, this show is growing by leaps and bounds, but it's not going to influence most voters. You need someone who's going to get on the Sunday shows every day. Every, every Sunday, get on the nightly cable shows and give our, our opinion on this stuff. And, and the platform of a speaker's election is, is at least something. I'm not saying it's like a presidential election, but, it, but it's, it, it's at least we have a fighting chance, chance of getting on the map. So you could have members and candidates rally to that and disentangle like, oh, are you for kissing up to Putin or not? Well, no, no, no. Actually, here's what I'm for. And you talk about healthcare, which has been forgotten. Such a winning agenda we could have on that issue. And I'm glad that Jordan made that you know, one of his top issues. So that's the, the opportunity that we have. Because otherwise, there's not going to be a speaker's election. Because Republicans will lose the House, and it will just be a question of who's going to be the minority leader. So that, that, that's one good piece of news, the fact that he decided to run now. I, I always felt that was the better play, and uh, you know, I'm glad he was convinced to do that. And you know, I just want to say, just from the get-go, you know, not everyone's perfect. You know, sometimes I get you know, impatient with, with his focus as, as well, but you, know, it, you can't ignore the fact it does say something about him that – the, the biggest problem we've had, really with everything, with president, speaker, just individual Senate and House races, is that we always know we have pukes, but there's the old adage, you can't beat somebody with nobody. We never have our own person. It's so hard to find. And that's always been the problem that, you know, we, we've always complained, you know, it's Boehner and then, and then Ryan, but the problem we had is we never had our own guy. We never did. So for him to step forward in a serious way and say, like, I'm going to do this, you got to give him a lot of credit. That in itself speaks volumes. He knows nobody else is going to do this. 
he has the biggest stature of anyone who could potentially do this who's on our side, and he's doing it. So that alone speaks volumes, and, and you know, irrespective, and, and again, I hope he's not as on message as possible, and I'm going to try to convince him of this. But as of now, that in itself is very impressive because we need more people like that. He's willing, you know, it's kind of like the conversations we had, we've had on the show with Chip Rory. You know, we're always like, why, why, why don't, Daniel, why don't you run for office? One of us should run for office, and we never do. So we're stuck with whoever does. So Chip's like, look, you know, I, there's an opportunity. There's a district. I'm in a place, a time of life that I could do it. I'm going to do it. I give him a lot of credit. I tried to convince him not to do it. I thought it was suicide. So, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And, and, and again, I, I want to hopefully get him on the show soon so you could hear directly from him. But um, this this is the point. We need a way to A, galvanize our base, and B, win back some of the suburban voters that were needlessly bleeding from just some of the perceptions about Trump. Some of it right, some of it wrong, exaggerated by the media, but it is what it is. It doesn't have to be that way. Suburban family-oriented people don't need to be voting for the abolish ICE crowd. They're not really like that. But by default, because Republicans are in power, you know, they're they always they're gonna swing to the ones out of power. And 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 until unless we rail against the status quo and have our own smart agenda. Which I think there's no reason we can't win win these voters back. And then yes, we need someone not just on the outside for the voters, but on the inside to make the play calls. And Jordan, who's been a rigorous defender of the president, is in a good place to do this. And I'm waiting as of this um, recording. I have not seen any media figure get in Trump's face and ask him what he thinks of the speaker's race. I'm sure someone's going to do it. But this is Trump's opportunity. Oh, Daniel, come on. That's unprecedented. A president can't get involved in a speaker's race. Really? I don't think so. If you're really for draining the swamp, you know Trump acts all impotent. Oh, I, I don't know. I can't use my veto pen. The founders thought that would make him king, but no, it, it's all Congress's fault. Okay, so <laughs> then we got to change Congress, and there's the, this is the leverage point because again, what, what people don't realize the significance of the importance of the House. See, the House is leaner and meaner than the Senate. Because of the rules, you control it with a simple majority. It's the closest to the people. In many ways, in a functioning republic, the House is the branch of government you would most want above all else. And that is the branch of government that Republicans have controlled lock, stock, and barrel with a simple majority for 20 of the last 24 years. Republicans have controlled the House for 20 of the past 24 years, and what have we gotten from it? Nothing but record debt, a broken border, broken immigration system, never protecting our social values, nothing. Heck, we had imposters like Boehner and Ryan and uh, former uh, whatever, pedophile 
in the in, in the in the 90s. It doesn't have to be this way. We're not going to get the Senate is gone. You will never get the Senate. We literally have, depending on the measure, three to twelve conservatives in in, in the Senate. Okay, it's just it is a cesspool. I mean, if you think the House Republicans are bad, you look at the Senate Republicans, forget it. So you need a House that could pass something, boom, 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 and then the president uses his, his, his bully pulpit, and he works together with House leadership to box out the Senate and, sh- and name and shame them. That's the only way to do it. It's so important to have solid House leadership. They have the ability to easily pass things. But the president is not – we've learned already. He's not going to do this on his own. And he's, he's got – Jared Kushner is a curse on this presidency. He's picking not just the policies but the personnel. I mean every day Trump tweets out, this guy's good on crime, crime, crime. He's the only one who talks about crime. Good for him. But then he has his top legislative advisors who are horrible on it. He's like, Kevin Yoder, I endorse him. He's good on crime. Are you kidding me? We need – that's why this is Jordan's opportunity. Jordan needs to be this voice. It can't just be an inside game, which it certainly is. It's a, it's a one, one, one-on-one – there's nothing quite like it because it's not out to the public. It's ultimately the members who vote. But he needs to take it elsewhere. He needs to take it to their constituencies because that's how you leverage them. Take it to the voters, and he needs to take it to the president. Every day he needs to shame him. He needs to call the president. He needs to go to the media. Look what McCarthy and Ryan and McConnell are doing. Here's what I would do if I were a speaker. Every day call them out. Here's what I do with the budget. You know, just now there's an opportunity. Democrats is just reading a headline here. You know, the Democrats are pushing for an election integrity fund to pr- protect from secure our elections. That is the perfect time to, Jordan could get up there and say, "Yeah, we need election integrity. We're going to fix the voter voter. We're going to prevent foreign influence in our elections by allowing and even encouraging states to use proof of citizenship. We're going to pass Jeff Duncan's bill to cut off Funding to localities that have non-citizens vote in their elections. There's a lot of things we can do. We need a guy who's going to make the play call. I still think he should come out with a platform. Tax, taxpayer and Consumer Bill of Rights, I'm still going to push for that. Whether anyone listens to me or not, I don't know. But I, I still think you can't go wrong with that. And that's the broader point that – he needs to we need our own branding that could potentially use Trump as a positive vehicle but not be exclusively branded by him and this is why just so you know i mean and i'll tell you ahead of time if i get it you know the next time i get a chance to speak with him the first thing i'm going to i'm going to my first piece of unsolicited advice will be relentlessly talk about our issues. Don't get involved in the whole and I know he's already knee deep in it, but you know, I think running for speaker should change his focus in 
Muller, Rosenstein, Peter Strzok, DOJ, the whole cabal and everything, all the cascading effects of that. Leave that to Meadows, leave that to DeSantis, Biggs, all the other guys. You're now in a different position. The voters, you're not doing anything for the voters by going after Rod Rosenstein. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying that this isn't impeding the agenda, but you know, the politics is important, but at the end of the day, you have to have an agenda for the voters, and no one has that, and it's all only about that other stuff, and there's plenty of people to talk about that. He should try to steer a little bit clear of it to, you know, to the extent he can and be the ideas guy, be the agenda guy, be the serious guy in the room. That's my unsolicited advice for him. And by the way, I'm just getting distracted here just you know, looking, looking at some of the news. Um, you know – I, I was just speaking about voter fraud and foreigners voting in our elections, which is something we really covered in depth last week. And again, the opportunities, the play calls, looking at the news cycle, looking how to jujitsu the left, but not to jujitsu them in like, oh, some great hot take on, on cable news, but to actually get our policies and trap them and put them on defense when they have to answer for our stuff. Look at this. Um, where is this? This is from the Hill.com, which has become a cesspool in and of itself, whatever under new management. But Americans overwhelmingly reject voting rights for undocumented immigrants. Okay? According to a survey, Harris Act's polling company, 71% oppose San Francisco's decision, while only 29% say they support the move. 91% of Republicans polled say that they oppose. 70% of independents. Okay. Why is there no legislation on the floor tomorrow? Jeff Duncan's bill. Why? 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 I just don't understand it. Especially with the courts doing their insanity. I just don't understand it. By the way, every minute judges do crazier things. Federal new thing. Federal judge orders Wisconsin to pay for gender reassignment surgeries for two Medicaid recipients. <laughs> there was another judge in Oregon that ruled uh, school. You know, school had to you know, the the kids had to go in a bathroom with the wrong gender. I can't even keep track. I literally can't keep track of this. But this is what we're missing. There are members that have good ideas. I mean, th- this is part of the big problem. It's like, oh, yeah, that bill's not going to see the light of day on the floor. Anything we want is never going to work. It's just not going to work. They won't do what we want. But, the, but it's not that the ideas aren't there. Imagine if you had 10 similar ideas, like I just mentioned, what we call 70-30 issues. Put them on the floor. But issues that really like grip people, foreigners voting in your election, like you know what I mean? This is not some sort of like Daniel nerdy policy wonky type of thing that people don't care about. I'm trying to focus on issues that really matter to people, not just you know policy people, but you know just your average voter. Like, yeah, that that's really outrageous. We need to take care of that. Sanctuary cities, all that stuff. 
Why is there no effort to do this? And that's what that's what Jim Jordan could speak to every day. You know, he has this opportunity to 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 make that movement. And I think, you know, the more he would talk about it, then you'll get some of the echo chamber, you know, regurgitating conservative media that are a bunch of followers, not leaders, to follow something good. I mean, I don't mind people being followers if you have someone doing the leading with a meaningful platform. The problem is we don't have that now. So everyone just follows and gets lost and collides with each other and then goes the wrong direction, including the president himself. So we're going to be on top of this. I'm, I'm going to try at least for tomorrow to get um, Andy Biggs on the show to get his take on this. But uh, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm all fired up today. You know why? Because I got a good night's sleep. Courtesy of Purple Mattresses. If you want someone like me who's going to speak the truth, as you all know, you, you follow the money. It's all the sponsors. And um, the left has, has all the sponsors. So we're thankful to Purple Mattresses for sponsoring the conservative conscience today. Your day depends, the success of your day depends on how good of a night's sleep you got the previous night. If you're tossing and turning, that means your mattress is not comfortable. Purple mattresses, they make the best mattresses. And by the way, and um, pillows. I'm going to get get their pillows as well. I have their mattress, and it is amazing. It's the perfect mix of firmness and softness, so it feels like you are you have solid support, but it's nice and comfy. It's also very breathable and cool, um, which I certainly need in the summertime. Not like the crappy memory foam that uh, a lot of others may make. This is the best science behind it. And here's the thing. If you don't believe me, 100-night risk-free trial. If you're not satisfied, you could return it for free. Shipping's free. But if you choose to get it, you go to purple.com, Issue promo code Daniel, get 10% off your order in addition to a free gift with the purchase. Um, once you get it, it's backed by a 10-year warranty. Again, free shipping or returns, but you can only get that 10% plus the free gift if you issue promo code Daniel, purple.com, the most comfortable and secure mattress you will ever rest on. So that's it for now. You know, we're, we're heating up. I have so much in my brain. I'm about to explode. Um, as always, send me your feedback. Email me, dharwitz at crtv.com. Tweet me at rmconservative. God bless y'all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.